Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa. And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started. Welcome, dear listeners, to our third and final episode on herbal remedies to encourage athletic recovery, where we go through herbs to support each of the three pillars of our methodology of athletic recovery, which are rest, resources, and today's episode on herbs to support resilience. So I feel like the first question we need to answer for people before we go into what they can do to increase their resilience is what do we mean by resilience and why is it relevant to athletic recovery specifically? Right. So I think resilience is the most complicated pillar of recovery. You know, rest is pretty straightforward. Resources is getting the things you need to recover. But resilience is our adaptive capacity. It's our flexibility. In training, it's the parts of our training that we put in there to plan for the unknown. Mm -hmm. You do your mobility training to keep a healthy range of motion. That also means that if something happens in your athletic endeavor and you are moved out of that range of motion, you're more likely to recover from that and less likely to have a detrimental injury. In our nervous systems, then resilience is our ability to cope with stressors that were not fully rested from or fully resourced for. It's Mm -hmm. our ability to roll with the punches to adapt. And I think a lot of times resilience is sometimes considered to be this thing that you have or you don't. And I think it's really important in all aspects, in the physical body, as well as in the nervous system and the mind. Resilience is a capacity that we build. Yes, just like any other physical capacity. And I think that's talked about a lot in the mental health field. So if we have any folks mm-hmm. from the mental health field listening, they, this will probably sound pretty familiar to them. But it's this idea that how well can you meet adversity and overcome it or survive it or make it through to the other side of it, if you will. And then that is an ability that can expand over time through a lot of different things, right? Some of which Forrest and I are qualified to talk about, many of which we are not. So uh, we are not therapists. Uh, We know a lot about mental health, but think about it in that sense where it's a highly individualized capacity, right? So what overwhelms one person may not overwhelm another person, but what overwhelms that person may be fine for the other person. So it's also a highly individualized capacity as well. And it's the lateral capacity. So in recovery, We can think of rest as being the maybe the more yin passive, which is Mm -hmm. to increase rest, you take away more activity. (laughs) Yes. And add nourishment. Yeah. And then for resources, then you add nourishment. You add more, more of the things that help support you to meet something head on. Resilience is then the third leg. It's the ability to, okay, we have a problem. And there's nothing more we can add to meet that problem. And there's nothing more we can take away to rest from that problem. The Mm -hmm. problem's here. The resilience is, okay, how can we think outside the box and go to the side of that problem? Yeah. How can we not internalize that problem so it stays with us for longer than needed as well, which I think may also be a little bit more on the nervous system side, right? How do we not get bogged down by this problem forever and ever and ever? which is a central question to healing as well, obviously. And, and I think that we have two 
what I consider the two resiliency systems in our body. Obviously, all parts of our body have a capacity for resilience and the lack thereof. But we have two systems that really encompass, really, it's even hard to understand them without an understanding of this concept of resilience. And Mm -hmm. that's our nervous system, which we've already been talking about. Mm -hmm in relation to resilience. And then the second is our fascial system. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about the fascia in its own dedicated episode. Movement is fascial, in case you are wondering, Mm -hmm. dear listener. That's the name of that episode. Go back and give it a listen. But fascia, one of its main jobs is it makes our movement system, it makes our structural musculoskeletal system a resilient dynamic system. That means that when a force comes into the system that is more than what the bone muscles can handle, there is a chance to recover from that because of the slippery, side-moving, elastic dynamicism Mm -hmm. of your fascia. So these two systems are our biggest allies in being more resilient in life. Nervous system resilience, which again is a much bigger topic than we're even qualified. Yeah, than than we can talk about in 20 minutes. Yeah. But then physical resilience in the form of fascial resilience is like the physical end of that spectrum. So there's a lot more we can do and we'll have a lot more to say about resilience building practices in future episodes. Sure. And it's central to our coaching work as well, like that understanding. And I feel like the the building of resilience is at the core of what it means to encourage salutogenic practices, right? By salutogenic, we mean practices that promote health rather than just practices that correct disease or correct dysfunction. As salutogenic-oriented practitioners, this concept of building resilience, especially in those two systems, is super central to that. One thing about resilience that I just want to say at the outset here, and then we're going to talk about our individual recommendations for herbs, are not some of our favorites, is that This is an area where it becomes a little bit harder to talk about it in quantitative terms that you have to look at it in more of the qualitative research. So again, think of the mental health field. Think of like the type of research that happens in that field where it can become difficult to measure because it's so global. It's so individualized. It's very nuanced. So I I understand, dear listener, if this is a little bit difficult to grasp on how do we measure that with numbers level, there's not a drug really that is like a resilience drug, right? There's obviously mental health drugs that really help uh, a lot of people in their pursuit of greater resilience, but it's a little bit more ethereal. It's a little bit more nuanced, but I would ask you, dear listener, to, to sit with yourself and you know what resilience feels like on an intuitive level, on a somatic level. So I think just accessing that and keeping that in mind when we talk about these herbs will help you understand where we're coming from. And so with that, in the spirit of herbs for athletic recovery is what are our favorite herbs for building resilience? And we're going to divide that in this episode between our favorite nervous system resiliency building herbs and our favorite fascia connective tissue resiliency building herbs. Mm-hmm. You want to do a nervous system first? Yeah, let's sure. dive into the nervous system. Okay. So my favorite nervous system herb in general, which but is Ooh, my- that's a bold but, claim. But it's also my favorite, specifically nervous system resiliency building herb is milky oats. Mm-hmm. And there's so really no, the, there's really nothing else quite like it. Yes. I describe it as it feeds the nervous system. Very it's nutritive. Just very nutritive. It builds, sometimes I feel like it makes it, just thinking about like stress of herbs that help you 
empty your stress bucket. Milky Oats, it's more like it crafts you a new bigger bucket. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly what the definition of one definition of resilience, right? It expands your capacity to handle yeah. the challenges that you are confronted with. When milky oats is applied, what a lot of folks, I've had folks tell me this sort of anecdotally, is something that used to overwhelm them if they've been taking their milky oats and doing all the things, they found themselves somewhat surprisingly oftentimes way more capable of confronting whatever it was that they have distinct memories of it overwhelming them. You know, right. and not just like on a good day, on a good mental health day, but on a consistent basis, they are more able to confront the challenges and the stressors of life that we all encounter, whether we like it or not. Yeah. And it specifically, it was traditionally used for when people felt like they were at the end of their rope, mm -hmm. when the nervous system has been stressed out to the point of exhaustion. Forever and ever and ever and ever, right. like you don't remember the last time you weren't. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like in a future podcast, we're going to dive into this modern concept of air quotes, adaptogenic mm -hmm. herbs, which Soap a lot of alert because yeah. <laughs> we have, we have notes. <laughs> and I've always found it so interesting that of all the herbs that are jammed into that category, mm. sometimes for just commercial purposes. <laughs> That milky oats never makes it on that list. Not that I would want it to. <laughs> I don't consider an adaptation. I consider it a taunt, you know, nourishing nervine. But it is the most specific for this kind of air quotes again, adrenal fatigue style syndrome. Burnout. A burnout, athletic burnout, burnout in your job. Like mm -hmm. it's the most specific herb for that that I could ever imagine sure. to the point that I really, and maybe this is sloppy of me as an herbalist, but sometimes <laughs> the way that I consider if an herb qualifies as being a nourishing nerve tonic is by comparing it to milky oats. Well, it's the gold standard, just like Solomon Seal, one standard. of the herbs that we're going to talk about with the fascia is the gold standard. And I feel like milky oats as the anti-burnout is a, is a good shorthand way of thinking about this. So folks who have been under a high level of stress for a long period of time and who it's like they their nervous systems are like, we don't even know. We don't even know what it's like to be anything other than this at this point. But we're exhausted. It's exhausting to operate like that for any period of time. And Yeah. And it's just in general, I almost think of it as a supportive grandmother that yeah. just holds you and like holds you up as long as you need holding up while preparing you to while giving your soul a it's like literally yeah. chicken soup for the soul Remember it's those chicken books? soup for the soul yeah <laughs> it's like the herb version it's nourishing it's nutritive uh to the nervous system it like and again, something to remember, I think, about all of these, y'all, is that what's cool about these restorative nervines, what I would consider when we, we'll get into this in the episode, but what I would consider an actual adaptogen and that it helps you adapt better, that's a marker of increased resilience. What's cool about all of them is that they are helpful in the moment for relieving stress, right? If you are feeling really stressed or you're about to have a panic attack or whatever, and you take some milky oats, it will help you in the moment if you take it one time. But its magic really lies in this cumulative drop in the bucket type of usage 
over a longer period of time. Yeah. And when you use it that way, that's how we apply it to expand the capacity for dealing with stressor. So it, it's cool because it's helpful for, it's so useful because it's like you can give it to someone who's dealing with something right now and they can take it as needed, but really it shines when it is used before the person feels like they need it. So having them take it whether they need, feel like they need it or not is what I will often tell folks. And that is where the magic lives, where it is expansive. Now, milky oats as and actually quite a few of these nourishing nerve tonics work best in their fresh state. Now, there's definitely the shadow of that nourishing nerve quality in oat straw tea, mm. even in oats, like oat milk and things like that. <laughs> but for the power that we're talking about here, it really needs to be that in that fresh milky stage where before the oats dries out and turns into what will become oatmeal. When it's in its green stage, you can actually take the little seed pods down and squeeze them in your finger and they exude a milky nourishing substance. Right. So that's what and milky so oats are, dear listeners, is they are just regular oats, the same oats that are in oatmeal, just harvested as they're underripe oat seeds, yeah. basically, or harvested grains. So they are harvested while they are underripe and they are oozing this sort of like milky uh, white green liquid. And if it says milky oats, that is usually what it means that they have been harvested at that underripe stage and made yeah. into tincture from that. So if it says milky yeah. oats, you're usually safe. If it says oat straw, that's usually after the seed head is fully developed and then it's been harvested and dried. Yeah. And so you want that fresh stuff. Not that the dry stuff doesn't have its own place, and but the fresh stuff is where the magic is. That's where it's at when we're talking about lives. this restorative. So, mm -hmm. so usually that means in tincture form, tinctures are an easy way of preserving the fresh things that go away with yep. drying herbs. You can occasionally find frozen milky oats mm -hmm. from, from, from farmers that you can mm -hmm. make a tea out of. And so mm -hmm. milky oat tea of the fresh milky oats does work like milky oat tincture. It's just a lot less accessible. Accessible. Mm -hmm. So if you do live near someone that grows milky oats or you have uh, a space, a to, spot, grow some space to grow some oats and, and harvest at the milky stage, I really recommend milky oats tea because it is a, I'm sure a that's whole, lovely. It's, it's very lovely. And it's oftentimes it can come into your life at the times that you need an extra infusion of milky oats. Let's so, talk about skullcap. Yeah. So another uh, common name for skullcap that I, I really love is blisswort. Oh, I've never heard that. That's lovely. So skullcap is used fresh, like milky oats. Mm -hmm. and, and so the skullcap tea in the in the grocery store, friends, that is in little tea bags in on the tea shelf is really not going to do a whole lot for you. So just know that if you've tried it and you're like, eh, skullcap doesn't work. It's probably because yeah. you've tried a tea bag from the store, which is like dried and old and not as effective as fresh skullcap. Yeah, I mean, skullcap tea is more of a nervous relaxant. It's not mm. my favorite nervous relaxant, even. At, but yeah, it, you would more compare it to chamomile tea or something like that that's a little more relaxing. All of that nourishing, increasing our capacity for dealing with stress is going to only be with a fresh preparation. Yeah, and my favorite part about skullcap and the thing that it is specifically really good at is stress manifesting as sensory overwhelm, which yeah. put in a more colloquial way, as my teacher used to say, when every noise feels like it's out to personally attack you. So I agree. So good for that. It's often helpful for migraine auras if you can catch them. Or that's, that's one of the reasons it's in formulas for that sometimes as well. But it's really like... 
when the noises and the smells and the, the sounds and all the things just feel like they are personally attacking you and they are just too much. Yeah. Well, that's a dead giveaway that skullcap is the plant that needs to be reached for there. I would say it's the it's the herb that goes with the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Oh, yeah. So it's definitely a little more intellectual in its resilience building effect, I guess. It, it helps with our sensory experience and like how much things bother us mm-hmm. versus milky oats, which is a little bit more our capacity in the depths of our being. Mm-hmm. And I know we don't have time to add in another herb, but I just want to really quickly mention. Oh my goodness, <laughs> is, you're killing me for us. He does this to me all the time, people. <laughs> Evening primrose as another nourishing nerve restorative that also has that is specific for the sensory mm-hmm. overwhelm. It is for when you feel raw. So whereas mm. uh, Skullcap might be a little bit more like it's sensory and other stress overwhelms that's like it's too much of it getting to you. Mm-hmm. Evening Primrose is where it's it's like the nervous system equivalent of a sunburn where you're just extra... Chafy. E- extra <laughs> chafy and sensitive <laughs> to everything that's coming in. And so I think that's worth just a mention as another also needs to be a fresh tincture yes nervous restorative people will probably the question that we'd probably get about that is can you use evening primrose oil like you would get in the store for that and i would say probably not would you agree uh it's interesting it it definitely there's overlap but not it's not the same Mm -hmm. so it's it's but if i was feeling like i needed evening primrose and all i could get was evening primrose oil at the store i would probably better than nothing yeah i would yeah i would still use it and the evening primrose oil does help with that in that same line of kind of chafy all over since since we added one i'll be short with the next one which is celery but i wanted to mention it because it's one that you can maybe in your kitchen maybe in your kitchen now caveat i'll say i never took the celery as an herbal nerve tonic seriously when i was just using generic half water by volume celery that you find even at like whole foods so you for the nervous system action of celery you really need the dark dark green vibrant celery that you're probably going to find mainly in your own garden or at a farmer's market much stronger flavor if you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about if you don't then you probably haven't seen really good celery and i really encourage you to go out and look for good celery and celery is a wonderful capacity building nerve tonic. I compare it to if Milky Oats was the kind of like grandma that just brought you in and hugged you and gave Gave you chicken soup. soup. Celery is the grandma that does that, but also tells you to sit up straight while you're drinking your chicken soup. There's like a little bit more of a like, get it together. (laughs) I guess, I guess. Yeah. Energy to it, which is, which can be really nice, but that being overwhelmed to the point of slouching down in the chair and needing not just the nourishment of a nerve tonic, but a nerve tonic that says, sit up, pick your head up. Celery can be really excellent in that. Doctrine of signatures. Think about the way celery looks. That tracks. Mm -hmm. The last one that we wanted to talk about is for as far as restorative nervings for the nervous system This one is pretty popular. You may have encountered it. It is an herb that has been borrowed or used from the Ayurvedic tradition, and it is ashwagandha. 
withania somnifera. So the first thing that comes to my mind, just to be careful about sores, I've had issues with it once or twice in the last couple of years where whatever they adulterate it with will make people itch really bad. And that's a dead giveaway that your ashwagandha has been adulterated. I've had two yeah. or three clients bring that uh, concern to me. And so you just have to be careful about your sourcing. So just at the outset, not to scare you, but ashwagandha is one of those, one of the few ones I would say, I know that Forrest and I feel the same about this, that we would say capsules are better than pretty much other forms because of the doses that you really need in order for it to be effective. So you're looking at three to five grams a day split over a couple of doses, ideally. And it's so gentle. It's just like, hey, I got you. We got this. That's what I feel like ashwagandha says to people. You just, you have to take it consistently. You have to take it at a high enough dose to make a difference. But in Ayurveda, I know it has the tradition as the stallion herb for libido and everything. And I, and I, I would make the argument that one of the reasons or probably the primary reason that that is true is that stress has a huge effect on the sex drive. So yeah. when we alleviate stress, all of a sudden our sex drive comes roaring back. And that's probably why it's called the stallion herb. When I think that ashwagandha, it really shines as an herb that's helpful when stress is affecting hormone levels. Mm, when you're mm -hmm. under so much stress that and not dealing with that stress to the fact that the cortisol involved starts to muck up other hormones. And so that mm. can that can include its functioning as a thyroid herb, yes. which it ha has a lot of history for, mm -hmm. and it's functioning as a sexual health. While it gets a lot more fame for male-bodied folks, mm -hmm. it was really historically used for not exclusively for a testosterone-based system, but also can help with estrogen and progesterone imbalances as well. And it's not, yeah. again, it's not really directly affecting the hormones or no. affecting testosterone. It's affecting how much stress is affecting. Yeah. Now um, I'll add... I'll add a little caveat of maybe slight disagreement with you, Alyssa. Oh. <laughs> is I think that ashwagandha is oftentimes very gentle as long as you're under enough stress mm. for it to remain that way. Mm. So for A-type personalities, it's often as gentle as can be. Yeah. And for somebody who is in the trenches with an active stressor that's like pounding away against at them. nervous systems, it's often very supportive and very much like lives in comparison to milky oats and skullcap and mm. these tonics. Interestingly, if stress in your life comes more in waves, mm. sometimes ashwagandha on the day that you're not actively getting hit by a stressor or you're not actively going out and being active, it'll feel a little zingy. Or, Interesting. Or contrastly, I was going to say, I've heard the opposite sedating. from some folks. Yeah. It'll feel a little sedating. They'll or be like, sit your ass down. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. rest. <laughs> and so that, that's just a really, I, I find it really interesting how its personality is. It's very dynamic. much, it's very dynamic and it's very mm -hmm. open for lots of different personalities and bodies and energetics, but it also definitely has like dear and near to folks who are actively in the muck of mm -hmm. intense stress. That tracks with my experience of it as well. I've not ever given it to someone and had it zing them, but not yet anyway, but I mostly am giving it to folks that now that you say that in that context of they're in the trenches with something 
Yeah. And it's so it, it ashwagandha ends up taking care of them. And what I have encountered is sometimes those type A personalities that I give it to, they get put on their ass by it. And then they get, yeah. they're like, oh man, I took it. And then I had all this stuff to do. And then I ended up taking a two hour nap. And it's like, yes. well, <laughs> that's probably what you needed to reduce your stress. Thank you, ashwagandha. <laughs> yeah, I, I do really. I also really like that uh, ashwagandha, even though it's gentle in the sense of it's still this nerve restorative tonic. Mm -hmm. It also is a little bit more firm with its boundaries to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think what you said about it playing well with lots of different constitutions and lots of different people is probably one of the reasons it's so popular. I imagine within the Ayurvedic tradition, it's a broad spectrum kind of remedy where you can be reasonably sure as a practitioner that it's not going to mess somebody up too much because it plays well with lots of different types of people. What it sounds like what we're trying to say is what you get out of it may be slightly different depending on your situation, but yeah. it's one of those herbs that I've not really had caused a paradoxical reaction or caused something where it really it didn't sit well with somebody or whatever. And it kind of also, it's kind of nutty. It tastes good. One of the ways to prepare it is just to simmer it in milk because it extracts well yeah. in fat. Like the, the constituents extract well in fat. So simmering it in some sort of plant milk or cow milk or whatever is one of the ways that you can take it, which also in and of itself is a nourishing ritual around it. So I think that some of these traditional remedies have the preparation methods that are built around them for a reason. And that reason often enhances the medicine. Yeah. I really do recommend the milk decoctions. I think that it does bring something out in the ashwagandha that is not always there in other preparations. And so sometimes I'll even, I'll recommend doing a milk preparation once a day, even if the rest of the day we're using tincture or, cap yep. or, or capsules to get the, the more oomph of the dosage, but in milk and specifically in a high fat milk. Yes. So traditionally it was in dairy milk, but I find it plays really well coconut with coconut milk, milk yeah. or you can put it in any kind of non-dairy milk and add some extra fat. Yep. All right. Let's talk about fascial herbs before we talk these people's yes. ear off <laughs> as we are wont to do. So reminder that if you don't know what we're talking about when we say fascia, we have an episode on movement is fascial, but you can reference for way more info on that than you probably ever thought you wanted to know. But fascinating stuff. Fascia is another word for connective tissue, but it's a much more elegant and all-encompassing word. So yeah, check out that episode if you haven't already. But that episode will do a great job of convincing yeah. you how important it is to take your fascia into account when we're talking about movement, when we're talking about pain, when we're talking about resilience, physical resilience, injury prevention, like all of those things. So go and listen to that if you remain unconvinced about the importance of fascia. But if you have already listened to that or you are already know that fascia is important and that the health of your connective tissue equals the health of your joints and your system and the resilience of your physical system, here are a couple of herbs that are going to help increase your fascial resilience, if you will. And we're obviously going to have to talk about Solomon Seal first. Yeah. Solomon Seal really can demonstrate what it is to be a fascial herb and what mm. it is to be an herb for resilience. Solomon Seal. So we'll just take one type of fascia as an example, which would be ligaments. Mm -hmm. um, so Solomon Seal will help to tighten loose ligaments, but it will also help to loosen tight ligaments. And it knows the difference and 
will, can even do both at the same time for different parts of your body. Amphoteric. That is the word for, for Amphoteric. that. I, yes, mm-hmm. it does what it needs to. And it, can we explain that using the terminology of allopathic conventional medicine? Absolutely not. No. Have we observed it and have other hundreds of herbalists over the course of the, the history of the usage of this plant that has been very well documented also observed these effects of salmonteal? Yes. So just, you know, how just it, to toss how that it out works there. is is how salmonteal works is one of the parts where you have to accept the belief in magic to do herbalism. <laughs> right. You have to accept no. that there are things outside of our medical understanding that plants can do. Yeah. It's like, I think Current maybe it's some sort of crazy interaction between the polysaccharides and Solomon seal that then affect the gut bacteria, which we don't understand, that then affect the fascial system, which we don't understand. <laughs> and then I still don't understand how it knows when to do it at which place at the same time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Magic. Um, like Salmon seal is very, it's very moistening, though, again, as an amphoteric, it's not contraindicated when there is swelling or dampness. Bogginess. In, the mm-hmm. in fact, it will even help bogginess, though there's er- other herbs I'd oftentimes mix with it in a boggy, swollen joint that help to drain mm-hmm. the fluid. Mm-hmm. Solomon seal will still help. It shines for dry, creaky joints where there's just not enough slimy lubrication between between the joints or between your ligaments, between other connective tissues. Again, fascial herbs, so it works on all the different parts of fascia. So it's we think a lot of times the first time you hear about salmon still is as a joint herb. And then you think about it, oh, well, it also works on ligaments. Oh, well, it also works on bursas and oh it also works on muscles well how does it work on all these different things because it's working on the fascia which is part connected woven into all of that yeah woven into all of this so it increases that slide and glide it's a human wd-40 you want to talk about teasel next yeah teasel crossline and kudzu will probably go a little bit quicker because we have laid the foundation of what we're talking about here and then we have some herbs that are specifically crossline maybe not but like specifically they do a good job at doing what solomon seal will do anywhere in the body for specific zones or specific parts of the body. Right. Teasel is really great for increasing the strength of connective tissue. Mm -hmm. I'm pulling for teasel a lot more when there's laxity than when Mm. there is tightness. It's not that it doesn't have the amphoteric effect, but it doesn't have it to the extent that Solomon Seal does mm-hmm. for that tightness. And so it works a lot better for loose ligaments. It also is really specific when you have big sheets mm-hmm. of connective tissue that are that are bound up or tight or bothering you. So you think like IT band syndrome. Mm. QL, I, I think, like low back, like that yeah, plane like, of... Mm-hmm. When it's like a big like a slab sheet. of something, like a slab mm-hmm. of connective tissue. <laughs> yes. Teasel can really help with that. Mm-hmm. Then kudzu. And kudzu is the the vine that ate the south. <laughs> oh, you, you see it driving around in the south. You'll see these huge green viney dinosaurs that are covering telephone poles and trees, trees and everything. And half the forest. and Yeah. That is kudzu. And kudzu is... A great fascial herb, and really it works mm-hmm. a lot like Solomon seal, just not as good. And so mm-hmm. sometimes with the fascial herbs, some of them are like literally just they're Solomon seal, but not as good as Solomon seal. Kudzu is that you can use it for any joint, uh, for as a connective tissue amphoteric. It's really good for the neck and the shoulders, and it is the best thing that I know of for a rotator cuff. So 
issues with overhead mobility issues and the rotator cuff. I think that kudzu is a really excellent remedy. It also has a little bit of a muscle relaxant effect. Mm-hmm. So that's nice pairing too, that you get a little bit of that muscle relaxing effect with the fascial stuff that it's doing, but it's a really, really effective herb. So our last fascial resilience herb that we wanted to talk about that is probably kind of, I mean, almost one of its kind, I would say, sort of in a class yeah. all of its own. Would you agree? Yeah. And that is crossvine. Bignonia capriolata. When we talk about fascial herbs, Solomon Seal is our big archetype. And a lot of the other herbs fit little niches, have, mm-hmm. especially have regional things. Kudzu to the shoulders, pleurisy root for bursa, for like bursitis, uh, yucca for the hips, teasel for those sheets of fascia. But so a lot of them, it's all about regional. Crossvine affects the fascial tension in the whole body in a way yeah. different. A Solomon seal is extremely intelligent in how it works with fascia in individual areas with individual pieces of fascia mm-hmm. very holistically and it will work you, know, you take Solomon Seal for your ankle you take Solomon Seal for your wrist you take it for your spine it works yeah we joke as herbalists that it's like cheating <laughs> yeah cross spine on the other hand it's more about how your ankle and your knee and your hip and your ribs on one side of your body are all relating to, to each other all relating mm-hmm. to each other yeah I feel like crossvine is the one that most directly speaks to what we're getting at with like fascial line theory, like Tom Myers anatomy mm-hmm. trains fascial line theory, where it's one of the ones that most directly speaks to what's the system level occurrences here? What's happening with the fascial lines that run from the tops of our foreheads down to the heels of our feet and one connected yes. unbroken line of fascia? Crossvine, I feel like, is the one that can speak to those dynamics most specifically. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. It speaks to that whole fascial web as opposed to just the local fascia. All those fascial lines and fascial webs, I almost think of them as spider webs coming out from the center. And Mm. in the center is our core, which is a lot more complicated in its fascial connections because you have all your core muscles, you have the bones of your spine, you have your pelvis and your pelvic floor, and then you have all your organs and their layers and all of that complicated fascia is at the center of your being and at the center mm-hmm. of your fascial lines mm-hmm. and crossvine can be really helpful at teasing out tangles in mm-hmm. deep in the core in the it's fascia of your it. so i've used it in folks with hernias in folks with i wouldn't say it has a pelvic floor affinity but it definitely works really well in pelvic floor imbalance cases. And then also folks that have had C-sections, surgeries, things like that, that have affected the abdominal and core fascial balance. Mm-hmm. Crossvine diaphragmatic, be, yeah. Mm-hmm, diaphragmatic. Crossvine can be really excellent at helping to untangle those and especially untangle those in relation to the lines that are grounded in that mm-hmm. core. Then the, the last thing, that makes it really special is it's really an energy tonic as well. Yeah, I find well, it a little zingy. I'm not gonna, I've, that's been my experience with it. It's a little zingy. It's a little, yeah, it has a little bit of that. If you're familiar with ginseng or El Rusro, it's not near as strong. Mm-mm. Yeah. Totally. But it does have a little bit of that nature. And in yeah. fact, it's traditional use. One of the earliest things that we see it used for was mules that had hidebound, which was mm-hmm. basically where. Mules were worked 
without recovery to the point of burnout. And they ended up having connective tissue that would just glue itself together to where they couldn't move anymore while they also were experiencing like extreme exhaustion and then they die. Mm -hmm. And the cross spine was fed to them and it boosted their energy, but also untangled all of that fascial lockdown lockdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I find that to be the overarching affinity. What I really love crossfine is with folks <laughs> who are burnt out, but have fascial stuff all over their body. And of course, maybe that's all of us, but like yeah. someone who they've got ankle stuff, they've got hip stuff, they've got shoulder stuff, they've got rib stuff, they've got neck Low back stuff. stuff. Yeah. They've got, so they've got kind of structural stuff going on in all the corners of their body. And because that's happening everywhere, then they're fatigued and they don't have good movement and they feel like they can't function in life because all the net effect is just your knee. Your the rest of your fascial system can adapt and compensate become resilient. And maybe you still have knee problems that affect what you can do, but it doesn't take away your general ability to function in the world. But when you have fascial stuff going on all over your body, that can start to decrease your total resilience for any lived life. And crossvine can be a really amazing ally in that. It takes a while to work, mm-hmm. but it gives that zingy kind of boost of energy while also slowly untangling the tangled mats and spider webs. In of, the yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll use it with Solomon seal, which will help balance out some of that peppy zinginess. Yep. And also Crossfine is not what I think. Oh, you have this old ankle injury. Crossfine would be great for working mm. on the fascia. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't really shine there the way that Solomon Seal would or that even some of these other fascia things like Kudzu would. Yep. It's not a strong regional. Its strength comes from its ability to speak to the entire Global. fascial web. But in that strength, it really speaks to that idea of resilience, that idea of let's improve the entire capacity of the our entire system's system. capacity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a wonderful ally to play with. Yes. All right, my friends, this has been part three of our series on herbs to encourage athletic recovery. So make sure to go and check out the other two episodes and stay tuned for future episodes. This is such a core concept to how we work with clients and our methodology when we approach our work with clients that if you keep your ear to the ground, you will certainly hear us talking about these concepts in other episodes, such as our episode on uh, movement should be recovery driven. And then also in future episodes, it's very deeply interwoven into our work. So thank you for listening. This has been the Move Nourish podcast, and we will catch you next time. 